Jessica Lindbergh, and this is the HeartStrong Podcast, where we dive into all the messiness life has to offer, the good, the bad, and the beautiful. As a mom who's faced tragedy, I want to share stories of hope, resilience, and purpose. Join us for a conversation about what truly makes us HeartStrong. the start of a new summer and life slowly getting back to normal, you may be looking for ways to improve yourself and live a more intentional life. That's why the HeartStrong Podcast is back for a mini season with our hopeful summer series. The goal of this season is to look at life in a new way, evaluate our priorities, and establish some healthier habits as we embrace our new beginnings. Each episode will help you get back to business while also enjoying some compelling, surprising, and heartwarming stories. So I'm really looking forward to today's podcast. I'm sitting down with Erica Schultz to talk about her new book, Not Today, The Nine Habits of Extreme Productivity. Erica is the Chief Marketing Officer of The Rain Group, which is a global sales, training, and performance improvement company headquartered outside of Boston, Massachusetts. She is a wildly talented woman with a heart for others, but more than all these things, Erica is my friend. We met nearly 10 years ago in the halls of Boston Children's Hospital, where our eldest sons, Ethan and Ari, retreated for their rare congenital heart defects. So Erica, welcome to the podcast. I'm super happy that you're here. Thank you, Jessica. I'm really excited to be here today. And as you know, I'm one who obsesses over my time and how I spend my time. And I truly can't think of a better way to spend this next hour with you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel the same. It's a super honor to to have your time and to share time with you. So as we're getting started, we have a lot to talk about, but will you share with the audience just a little bit about yourself and your story as we get started? Sure, absolutely. Um, I am a mother. I am a wife. I am a chief marketing officer. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a daughter. I have three amazing children, two of which are still here with us and one who passed away in 2017. I grew up in Wells, Maine, where I had a a great model of a family where my parents owned and operated their own business. So I've always been involved in business. And when I met my partner and we launched our own business, it felt very natural for me. And it was something that I love doing and I enjoy doing. And it's something that we do together and our whole family is a part of it. And you've just written a new book, which is really what I'm excited to talk with you about today. And I think it's super timely as we're all, I hope, thinking about our time and the value of our time as we've emerging from COVID. And we've all just, I think a lot of people are feeling like they're in transition. I'm just sensing that from a lot of people that I'm talking to. So I think this topic is super timely. So the title of the book is Not Today, Nine Habits of Extreme Productivity. Will you tell us why you decided to write this book and why this topic is so important to you? Absolutely. Not Today is a very personal journey of growth for myself to living a happier, more productive, more fulfilled life. And We wrote this book to help others, and we've been through terrible tragedy in our life, having to live in a hospital with our son who was fighting congenital heart defects and and ultimately losing the battle to congenital heart defect. And we think that we have a really powerful story to share with others, and our hope is that people can learn from us and learn from our journey and not have to go through this terrible tragedy to reevaluate their lives, to evaluate where they're at and to make changes for the positive. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think there's always so much power in our stories and, you know, people don't have to go through having a kid living in a hospital or having a kid pass away to really learn the value of time. And so I love that you are bringing this up because even just reading through the book this past week, I thought about so many things in my own life that, you know, I'm like, oh, I could tweak this or I could tweak that because I too, like, you know, how valuable time really is. Oh, I was just going to say, I think yeah. that as we're coming out of COVID, these it's really hard to change and people change when either they are in so much pain 
or in such hard circumstances that they are forced to change or they change when there's some outside event that makes them have to change. And COVID, as we're coming out of that, that is an event that has touched everyone not just here in the United States, but across the globe. And it's something that people can use as a catalyst for that change to really evaluate where they're at and wipe the slate clean and think about what do I really want? And then to align their time in their days with those things. So I see COVID and our emergence coming out of it as a huge opportunity for people right now. I couldn't agree agree more with you. I think it's a really powerful time and it's an exciting time that we can really kind of take this time and and really launch into something new. So you have this quote um, in the beginning of your book and I just loved it so much and I want to read it for people because I want to talk about the gift of time, the gift of time where we all say it's really important, but we don't always align our lives and our actions with that value. So it says, if you were aware of how precious today is, you could hardly live through it. Unless you are aware of how precious it is, you can hardly be said to be living at all. And that's a quote by Frederick Buchner. So just talk to me about this gift of time and why and how this has just become such a, an important topic of your life and obviously of your book. Sure. I love that quote. Um, it gets me every time. And I always say that the greatest gift that Ari gave us was his time. And one of my biggest regrets is not realizing that when I had his time, when he was here, it's only in retrospect that I, I can see that now. Um, but I think that most of us, we live our lives with this equation where it's effort equals achievement equals happiness. And we go to school and get good grades. We go to good colleges. We get married. We buy the big house. We get the white picket fence. We get the golden retriever dog. I literally have a golden retriever dog. <laughs> <laughs> and we think that all these things are going to make us happy. And we just want more and more and more. I want that next promotion. I want to become a VP. I want to become partner. But we never stop to ask ourselves why. And if you pause and you just say, wait, what do I really want here? We, there's so many societal influences that say, this is what you should want. Why wouldn't you want this? But why do you want more money? Why do you want that promotion? What is it going to do for you? And when we have these conversations and when we're, we're coaching people and when we're working with people in our training programs and we sit down and we start asking them these questions, this is when true transformation happens. And don't, as you're thinking about these questions, don't let yourself off the hook. It's easy to say, well, I want to become chief marketing officer. I want to start my own business. Well, why do you want that? I wanted that so I can make more money. Well, why do you want to make more money? What are you going to do with it? What's it going to do for you? And when you start asking these questions and you dig, you start digging deeper, that's when you get to what you really, really and truly want. And only once you know that, can you align your time with those things? So time is precious, yes. And it's so important to know what you're saying yes to with your time and what you're saying no to so that you can feel good about it. Yeah, and you can live your values, right? Because ultimately we want to live mm -hmm. in alignment. I think people, you know, we all want to find that alignment. As I was prepping for this podcast, I was thinking about Ethan and I was thinking about Ari. And I remember... Um, we did a golf outing together, a charity, a charity golf outing together. Our families did. And I remember being at your house and I was pitching Ari balls in your living room, you know, obviously whatever his softball that he played with. And I swear it was like a hundred pitches. And I was like, okay, do you want to keep going? And he was looked at me like, he's like, yeah, I want to keep going. Like he wanted to play baseball. So Ari loves sports and my boys always talk about him in that way. And I was actually just with my son Chase last night going to a baseball game and I said I was going to talk to Ari's mom today, so we talked about Ari. And so he was, like, so focused on what, what mattered most to him. It was like he couldn't be bothered with other things. And I was also thinking about my son, Ethan. So he loved music. He loved talking to people. He loved entertaining people. He loved socializing. 
and I still remember him being in the hospital and I would be like, do you want to watch a show? Just cause like I wanted like a little break. And he was like, no. And I really think if you think about these kids, which I believe on some level had some knowledge that they didn't have a lot of time, they were, they were aligned, you know, what was important to them was like what they were yeah. doing. Yeah. And I just thought that I just was thinking about that last night and thinking how much we can learn from people who get rid of all the cobwebs basically. And really, and that's really what you're offering people the opportunity to do, to get aligned and to get clear. And that's something that, you know, Ari did in his life. He just lived that way. Yeah. And like Ethan, he did. He just had this zest for life. And, you know, after Ari died, we struggled. We, it tore us down. We didn't know how we would live. There were times I definitely didn't even want to continue living. And it was really hard until I woke to the fact that, you know, Ari, when Ari was here, he lived every day to the fullest. That's what he wants for me too. The best way I can honor him is to continue to share his story and to take my life and to live every day to the fullest, just as he would, because I know that's what he would want for us. And so even when we were in our darkest place, he showed up as our bright light and as our guide to get us out of it. And I think that with this book, that's what we want to do for others. Hmm. That's so beautiful. And I think it's so needed and I think you're absolutely going to do that because I felt that way in reading it. And I want to talk about um, productivity because you talk a lot in the book about productivity. And I think people are completely obsessed with productivity. Like we want all the hacks. We want to know what we can do better. Um, we're always looking to, to for more, 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 like you mentioned before. But talk to me about how you see and define productivity now and how you approach that in your life, you know, and then obviously I want to talk a little bit more about sort of the levels of time that you define in the book. Yeah. I think that there's never been a more important time for a new definition of productivity because people think of productivity as doing more, getting more done. It's all this more, more, more mentality. And even if you look at the definition of productivity, I'm going to read one part of it to you. It is the effectiveness of productive effort, especially in industry, as measured in terms of rate of output per unit of input. And that is how we have been trained to think about productivity. And especially with things like Six Sigma and just making everything an efficient process. However, we are not mechanical machines. We are biological human beings. It doesn't work that way. So I want to read you the second part of um, the definition of productivity. If you look it up, in the dictionary, it is the state or quality of producing something, especially crops. And I love that definition because if you think of productivity more as growth, as crops that need watering, they need nurturing, they need attention, they need love in order to flourish and to produce and we as human beings, that's what we need too. And coming out of COVID right now, we've been in a drought. We've been in a season where we haven't gotten the rain that we need to flourish. And I think we need to be very, very mindful of that as we you know, run our businesses, as we reemerge into our lives and think about what productivity means to us. We need to be kind to ourselves because we haven't gotten the care and feeding and love and attention that we need to grow and to produce in that way. You know, that's so interesting. And I love that visual of a crop growing. And I was talking, I've been talking with some people this week and that have run different businesses and organizations. And the general sense is like, people are tired. They're just like, we kind of rallied, I think last year, and we were like doing the school and we were 
trying to participate in everything. And I even, and, and you, you and I can relate to this. And my husband mentioned this to me last night when I was, we were talking through this podcast. I said, remember when Ethan would be in the hospital, we rallied, like it was months. We rallied, rallied, rallied. And then a month after I got home, I would completely fall apart. I just, I was exhausted. I was crabby because it was like, you can only sustain that for so long. I think we're collectively in that place where we have rallied for this last year. And now people are like, I, I, I don't know. I can't do anything. I, but yet there's a sense that like, now we're supposed to be rushing back to normal. You know, I, I'm going to put air quotes around that. So like you said, the, the mm -hmm. grace, the watering, that what, what should we be focused on now? Like what, where should we be focusing our energy and time in a, in a season when we are exhausted? Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, personally, I'm exhausted. You know, it's been so much with work and having to reinvent our business um, with children, with sharing work, my kitchen table as a workspace and a first grade classroom and supposedly where I eat my dinner with my family. It's all just been too much and totally exhausting. Um, you know, when, when I think about time, we've, we've created this mnemonic around time. And I think about time as a mindset where the T and time stands for treasured. I stands for investment. M stands for mandatory and E stands for empty. And if you look at everything that you do, literally every minute of your day, it falls into one of those four categories. And the whole idea with the mindset is you want to take more of the treasured time and you want to increase your investment time. This is working towards your priorities, working towards your goals, your meaning, your purpose. And you want to minimize your mandatory time and try to eliminate your empty time. And as we think about people being totally exhausted right now, and even the idea of trying to become more productive, it's, oh gosh, you know, I want to be more productive, but mm, not today, right? Starting tomorrow, I'll do that. But if we can just change our mindsets and make this one simple shift in being really mindful and really deliberate in what we're doing and examining what we're doing on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, you can start to see gains right away. You'll not only see the gains in productivity, you're going to start feeling a lot better. You're going to start feeling a lot happier and like you're getting more done, but also getting more of the important things done and finding time for yourself. So let's break down the, 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 the mnemonic just a couple more ways. Cause I want people to really yeah. kind of digest this. So tell me, give me a couple examples of each of the treasured investment, mandatory and empty. Give me like what one or two things that, that, that means, let's say for you. Sure. So treasure time is doing things that you love with people that you love. So for me, my treasure time is golf, hanging out with friends, spending time with family. Investment time is time spent working towards your goals. So it could be your work goals. It could be your family goals, your friend goals, your community goals, but you're investing in something that's going to get you outsized returns. Mandatory time is time spent doing things that you think, I'm using air quotes here, think you have to do. And this is a really important category that I think we should dig into a little bit because we all have so many things that we feel like we just have to do and we couldn't possibly let them go. But if you can learn to free yourself from that mindset, it can be incredibly powerful. And E is empty time. This is time that you just waste. So, you know, maybe that first Netflix show that you watch to unwind at night, that's treasured time. You need that to settle down your brain. But when you're on the third one and you choose watch next, that might not be the best decision. You're probably wasting a little bit of empty time there. Those are, those are really, I love those categories because I think it's really helpful. Like you talk, and so you talked about, tracking your time. That was one mm -hmm. of the things that you mentioned. So in order for us to evaluate where our time is going and what we're doing, you suggest tracking your time. So tell us about that and, and tell us about how people could do that. 
Sure. Um, so before you can change how you spend your time, you need to know where you're currently spending it. So this is actually one of one of the hacks that we have, and it's obsessively tracking where you spend your time. And I say obsessively because it's literally in the moment, writing down exactly what you're doing and which time category it relates to. Now, this is not something that you do all of the time. You do it for a couple of days, say, all right, I have a couple, you know, normal-ish work days coming up and maybe a weekend day and just keep a log. It can be a notebook that you keep with you. It can be, there's plenty of apps on your phone that you can download that can help you track your time. It can be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be in your calendar, you know, any way that really works for you. But after you do this for say two or three days straight, sit down and look at it. It is incredible what you can find about yourself, how you can find the empty time spots, how you can find, you know, where you're spending a lot more of your, you know, mandatory time than you might think you're spending. Um, we've done this activity with a lot of different people that we coach and that we train, and it's incredible the insights that this uncovers for yourself. Hmm. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. I think we would probably find that we waste a lot of our time. Do, do people find that when you work with them? Absolutely. Yeah. Not only do they, they waste a lot of their time, um, they don't spend nearly as much time as they think on their investment activities. So they might say to themselves, okay, this is a priority for me. They might write that priority down. But then when you look at how they're actually spending their time, there's a huge misalignment there. Hmm. That's super interesting. You know, I want to ask you about, you know, this idea of productivity through the lens of, of being in a season of caregiving, because you and I have both been there. And, you know, I think I always want to break this down on the podcast because we can give people all these hacks and ideas about life, but sometimes life happens. And we just... I have struggled with this personally. I like to be very productive. I have goals that I mm -hmm. want to, to do. And then life happens. Like you guys talked in your book about being in the hospital with Ari. You thought you were going to be there for a short time. You were there for a long time. I've experienced the same thing. I currently have a son with many disabilities. And so it kind of throws us off track. On one hand, I feel like it makes me have, I've learned to be more focused on what really matters to me and what I want to do because I can't do everything. On the other hand, I find I get really frustrated because I'm like, I want more time to do the things that are treasured or in, you know, the investments I want to make. How would, how, what would you say to somebody who's in that season of their life and really has some goals and some things they really want to bring to life, but they're just feeling like they have no idea how to do it? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say, of course, you're frustrated and you're never going to get rid of that feeling. That is a honest, true feeling that is there. I would lean into that. Yes. It's okay to be frustrated. Secondly, I think it comes down to really identifying what are the goals that are most important right now. So especially in a caregiving role, that requires a lot of your time. It, and not just you know physical hours on the clock, but your mental time and just the mental space that that takes up. And when we talk about productivity and we talk about um, getting things done and setting priorities, we also talk about having the energy to be able to match those priorities. And when we look at priorities, we think about it in regards to how much activation energy, like proactive energy am I gonna need to do to get to that priority, to get to that goal? And what else do I have going on in my life right now? So it's not just about, okay, I set priorities for work and I look at my, my, my work through this silo. We do not live in a society where there are any boundaries between work and home anymore, especially with COVID. I mean, it's so fluid. People move in and out of work and home life and needs for their families and needs for their children's and medical needs and caretaking. And, you know, now we're, we're the sandwich generation where we're not only taking care of our kids, we're taking care of our parents. Mm -hmm. So having a full understanding of all that's going on in your life 
and realizing where you're going to need to expend the energy and being real truthful with yourself about how much energy you have left to be proactive on maybe a new goal that you want to be working on and achieving because, you know, you can't do it all. And it comes down to self-compassion, being okay with that. Um, one of the hacks that we have that I love is creating a to-don't list. Mm. So we all have to-do lists. We all need to-don't lists. And a to-don't list isn't, you know, this is a bad idea. I'm not going to do it. Oftentimes to-don't lists actually are just really, really good ideas. They're just things that you are saying, I'm not going to focus on that right now. I don't have the energy, the time, the resources that I know are required to really make that successful. So I'm going to park it over here. And what happens when you do that? You take the mental load of it off. You're not constantly thinking, oh, I should be working on this, or I really want to get to that because you have it parked over here. So you can say, no, it's on my to-don't list. I'm okay with that. I'm going to leave it there. And then when you do have that time and you are ready to tackle your next project, you pull up your to-don't list and you say, which one am I really passionate about now? That's such good advice. And I, I, I do think people, and I get, cause I get this question a lot from mm -hmm. moms in the heart community or in other communities who have these ambitions and ideas. And I love that idea of parking it. And I also always say to them that these are seasons of our life, right? It's not forever. You're in a season and it's almost like surrendering to that season in a way and, and knowing that there will be other times, right, for you to be able to, to do the things you want to do. Exactly. And, you know, I found when we were living with Ari in the hospital, um, another, another little hack that um, I use that has become one of the habits in our productivity code system is calendaring my time. So I, I knew every single afternoon, I would have a one hour block where Ari would either nap or rest while we were in the hospital. And what I found was I would put him down, I would pick up my phone and I would start responding to the mass amount of text messages I was getting to my Facebook messages, to everything else. Before I knew it, one hour was up mm -hmm. and I had gotten nothing done. So what I started doing was looking at my to-do list and saying, all right, what do I absolutely need to get done this week? And I put it in my calendar in those one hour time slots. Then as soon as I put him down, opened up my calendar, oh, okay, great. I need to be reviewing this article right now or creating this email right now. I would get to it immediately. And when that hour was up, you know how good I felt about myself. Yeah. And this is feeling good in the midst of literally a shitstorm going on around yeah. me. Yeah. And it's like those little wins though, especially if you're in one of those really tough seasons, you've got to cling to those little wins. Yeah. And I also think you have to stop scrolling social media and seeing what everyone else is doing. Right. Cause I, I also do think that sometimes the stress for really for anyone who wants to do something or accomplish something or be productive it's getting clear, like you said at the outset of our conversation, of aligning with what's important to you, why you want to do it, not why everyone else wants to be doing something. I think that's a really important yes. thing to like bring up because we live in the society where everyone's watching everyone else. But I think it's like you said, getting clear with yourself is probably some of the most important work that we can be doing right now for ourselves. It absolutely is. I would say it is the most important yeah. work you can be doing right now. And then setting boundaries around it, yeah. learning to say no, that is so hard for people to do and talk about social media and FOMO and well, they're doing it. I want to be doing it. Or, you know, these people got together and I missed out. And, uh, you know, you need to set boundaries around your priorities. You need to set boundaries around your time and when you set, do learn to say no, and when you do say no, it makes what you say yes to that much more powerful, that much more impactful. You know, I can't tell you how many times I'd be, uh, the PTO would come to me and say, hey, can you bake cookies mm -hmm. for, the, for the bake sale? And the natural reaction as a, you know, community member who wants to help out and do good and help others is yes. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm making the cookies in my kitchen, <laughs> you know, I'm doing it with, uh, well, I'm bearing down on my teeth. Like, why did I say yes yeah. to doing this? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's finding those. And, it, and I think as moms who are working moms who have those things, the same, same. It's like you want to, I really made a commitment one school year that said, if there was ever something to do, I would donate the money. Send me your Venmo. Mm-hmm. I'll send you 20 bucks or $25. Because there are people out there who have the time who want to go do those things and are able to do it. So it, we can release the guilt from ourselves. We can participate in the way yes. that we can in that time in our life. And we know that it will get taken care of by somebody who's more than happy or their treasured time is making those cookies or is going to, to serve in that way. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's the thing. Like the, the time categories for everyone are unique to them. What's important is you need to define what is in each one for you. And also it changes over time. Maybe making cookies is not treasured for you right now, but who knows in five years, maybe it will be. So real before we kind of get off this time topic, I want to talk about mandatory time because you mentioned mm-hmm. that it was an important one. And I know as p- working parents, that's a big one, or especially caregiving parents, whatever. It, I mean, mm-hmm. there's the groceries, there's the there's all the things we have to do. You mentioned your kids' lunches. Tell me about that. And you mentioned their lunches in the book. Just tell me about how you shifted that in your mind and, and how maybe it's an idea how people could shift some things in their family to open their time up for the things that they really want to be doing. Absolutely. The mandatory piece is one that is probably the hardest for people to let go of. Um, So I'll I'll share this example um, of me making my kids lunches. It's something that I dreaded. I would work all day, come home, the kids would be screaming, mommy, 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 hanging on me while making dinner, then cleaning up the toys, doing the dishes, doing tubby time, putting them to bed and I was exhausted. The last thing I want to do is open up the fridge and start slicing apples. Yeah. Then I went through this exercise where I looked at, well, what is really important to me? What are my goals? And one of my goals for my family is to live a healthy lifestyle and to teach my children healthy eating habits. Simply by having that goal and then being able to tie the task of making lunches, it completely changed my mindset around it. All of a sudden, I wasn't dreading making their lunches. It felt good. Hmm. So how can something you do that you dread doing go from that to something that at the end of the day, you look forward to doing and you actually feel really good about and you feel really accomplished about? And it's literally as easy as changing that one little piece, changing that mindset around it. It's changing the story that you're telling yourself in your head around it and creating a new story. To take my my lunch making uh, one step further, I then talked to our babysitter and I said, hey, how would you feel about making the kids lunches? You know, here are some parameters. I want it to be a healthy lunch and include one fruit, one vegetable, et cetera, et cetera. And she said, oh yeah, of course. So now not only am I accomplishing more of my goals, I'm also not spending any of my time on it. I think with mandatory, you need to think about it in two ways. That's one way where I shifted it to an investment activity. I'm investing in a healthy lifestyle for my family. I'm investing in teaching my children how to eat healthy. You either need to to change your mindset around it and do that, or you need to outsource it and find someone else who can do it. So a lot of times people will say, you know, oh, well, I, I have to do the groceries. Mm-hmm. I have to clean my house. I have to pick my kids up from school. Well, guess what? There's grocery delivery services. You can carpool with other families. You can hire someone to come and pick up your kids and drop off your kids. I mean, there's lots of other ways that you can look to minimize your mandatory activities without you having to be the one to do them. And I, I, I get a lot of pushback here from people. It's really, really hard to do. But I was golfing with a friend just yesterday who had read an advanced copy of the book. And she said, Erica, since reading your book, I hired my housekeeper back and I got a landscaper to mow my lawn. She says, I'm making more money in my business and I'm playing more golf and doing what I love. She's like, I'm so happy I made those decisions. Yeah. I And, and I will say for me, going through COVID actually helped me 
do some of these things. So for example, I don't go to the grocery store anymore. I never do yeah. because, and when I, I, you know, and it's so easy. So let's say for example, you're like, well, I don't want to spend the $30 Instacart fee for the delivery or the tip or whatever. Well, think about how many hours you'd have to pay a babysitter to go to the store, to get the groceries, to bring them home and put them away. I mean, it would be way more than $30. So, you know, you kind of start thinking about some of those things and some of those values about how you want to use your time and realize that you actually can do those things. But we, I think oftentimes as mothers or women, especially, we feel like we have to do all of those things. But we made a similar decision about our lawn last summer. Eric's like, I don't want to spend I want to spend my hour and a half or two hours with my family. I don't want to spend my time that way, you know, and we can't always make all of those decisions, but I think that's a really good challenge for people. And I, I love that you brought that up. Um, I think it's something that we can all think about. I wanted to um, talk, I, you guys did basically like a research study to write this book, which was really cool to me. I mean, you interviewed all these different people and you guys love to read the book to kind of get all of the details but you talked about extremely productive people and you talked about there were different categories, but the mm -hmm. two ends were the extremely productive people and kind of the rest, <laughs> the rest of the people. Tell us a couple things that extremely productive people do that you think our listeners might be most interested in. I found it really fascinating, just some of their mindsets and the way that they think about what they do. Sure. Yeah. So to give you a bit of background, um, when we were working and living in the hospital, that's how, when this system really started to emerge because, you know, like most successful entrepreneurs, we were trying to figure out how do we focus, how do we get more done? So we went to the trusty Google and um, typed in how to focus. <laughs> we tried a ton of hacks, tried a ton of different things and nothing was working. So Instead, we said, all right, we need to try something else. So we tr started trying things. We started sharing them with each other, my, my husband, Mike, and I. And as we were doing this, this system started to emerge. And we're like, oh, wow, maybe, maybe we're onto something here. So we started sharing it with some of our colleagues who then started training some of our clients on it. Hmm. And they were getting exceptional results. Now, Mike and I were, were kind of geeks, so we wanted to know that this isn't something that just works for a few of us. Um, we love research. Uh, you'll see in our book, we reference a lot of different research as well as our own. So we undertook a global productivity study that now more than 5,000 people have participated in, and we wanted to know what actually makes them more productive? And what this did, it, it changed our system a little bit, but it also validated all of the habits that we share within our system. And not only did we find that these habits lead to greater productivity, they also lead to happiness. So those who employ these habits are happier. They lead to job satisfaction. So they're more satisfied with their jobs and to top performance. So when we did the research, we said, wow, this is really something. This isn't just about productivity. This is a life system. It changes the way you work. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you feel. So to share just a couple of my, you know, I guess some of my favorite habits um, from the book and from the system, the, the first one is to put your GIA first. And GIA stands for your greatest impact activity. And this is the one thing that if you did it today, it would be the most important thing you could do today. Now, we found in, in our research and also other research, uh, other people's research, that most people are more productive in the morning. So we say, put your GIA first. However, if you're one of those people, it's like, no, I'm a night owl, I need to do it at night, then put your GIA at night. But the idea is to identify, one, what that activity is, which in itself is pretty impactful, and two, to do it before you get sidetracked with all the other things that crop up during the day. So that's one of um, my favorite ones. The other is to calendar your time. So I talked a little bit about when Ari was in the hospital and making sure that, you know, again, I put my GIA in my calendar. That takes the thought process out of, all right, I have one hour to do something. What should I do? Here's my long to-do list. Before you know it, 30 minutes are gone. You haven't even started on it. When you calendar your time, you get started on it 
much, much more quickly. The other one I would say is, is three, two, one, stop. So we were talking earlier about how hard we are on ourselves, the guilt that we carry, the I should be doing this. And I use three, two, one, stop on a daily basis. Whenever I find myself going down an unproductive thought cycle like that, or I find myself doing something unproductive or, or, or doing a habit, I said that I want to change or I want to stop doing this. I just say three, two, one, stop. That's it. I don't ruminate about it. I don't feel guilty about it. I just immediately say stop. I stop doing it and I move on. It's like eating that chocolate bar, right? That first bite tastes so good. You get so much pleasure out of it. And then you finish that bar and you start to open the other one. You think, well, wait, do I really need to be opening this other one? Is that going to give me just as much pleasure as that first bite? And it's not. So you say three, two, one, stop. You don't feel guilty about, oh, wow, why did I have that urge to eat the second one? You just put it down and you move on. So you'll have to go into the book because there's so many interesting things that you guys talk about in there. And it's really fascinating. I find human behavior personally super fascinating. So I was really interested in, and then I was like, ooh, how do I align up with these different people? You know, so it was really, I think that part of the book for me, I also love research, found it really, really interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about just your role of being Ari's mom. And I think that his story is such a such a big part of this book. It's the reason you wrote the book. It's the reason you have this, you know, this system mm -hmm. and it's the reason it's the way you live. Um, and, you know, and your identity has morphed and shifted over, you know, as he was alive, after he died, now in what you're doing. Talk to me about that just on a personal level of your own identity as a woman and a mom, um, where you were, where you are today. And just to give some perspective, you know, for our audience, because there's people at all different places of life listening. Um, identity is something I've really, really struggled with. So when Ari was alive, um, and I was his primary caretaker, I was Ari's mom. Mm -hmm. Like, not only was I Ari's mom, that's how everyone referred to me. You go in the hospital and it's Ari's mom, Ari's mom. Oh, hi, mom. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> what the doctors call you. They don't call you your first name. Yeah. But, you know, not only was my identity very much wrapped up in Ari's and in his medical needs, um, our family's identity was wrapped up in it. So Ari was one of those kids that just had a huge personality. He was a natural leader. He was enthusiastic about everything. And people were simply drawn to him. He, he made it easy yeah. as a family on us. You know, if it were a Saturday and I would say, hey guys, do you want to go to the library or to the playground? Ari's response would be, let's go to the library and then the playground like so enthusiastically and ready to go. And that made it easy for our family. Great, let's do that. Now, my other children, they're not quite like that. You know, my daughter, if I were to say that, she would say, well, I just want to stay home today. Yeah. And that's how she's always been. So not only did my identity get very wrapped up um, with Ari, so did our family. And when he died, that was gone. Mm -hmm. I was no longer Ari's mom, the caretaker. I was Ari's mom, the bereaved mom, mm -hmm. the grief-stricken mom. And our family had a really hard time because there was no one there to lead us. We were floundering. We didn't know what to do. And we were in the midst of terrible grief. So finding my identity, helping my family redefine our identity has been a journey all on its own. And I can tell you through doing this work and, you know, I talk a little bit about it in the book, but a lot of it comes back to really thinking about like, what do I want? Mm -hmm. And I never in my life asked myself those questions and truly listened to my own answers. I very much live the equation of achievement equals happiness. And when Ari died, I didn't achieve. And I thought it was my fault. Yeah. I thought if I had efforted more, I could have saved him because everything else in my life worked that way. So that was 
really hard. Mm -hmm. And I had to grow a lot to come to these realizations. And in doing so, I also realized, you know, I lost myself in all of that. I lost myself in, in that transition to becoming a mother and being a caretaker and, you know, then having two other children after Ari and then um, going through what we went through and losing him. I, I had no idea who I was or what I wanted. And it took a lot of self-work and reflection and therapy and workshops mm-hmm. to get to a point where, you know, I've never felt more comfortable in my own skin than I do now, but it wasn't easy. It was really, really hard. And you've got to do the work. You got to do the work. I think, um, you know, anytime we go through something in our lives that people see, you know, they see Ari being sick or Ari being in the hospital or, you know, similar things to me they think it's that's the thing there's always this collateral damage like this monsoon of other things that no one sees but is almost and sometimes worse than the actual event because it's just Mm -hmm. catastrophic in a family in a marriage in communities like whatever it is you know extended family siblings and so I think what's really cool about your transparency what I thank you for is that you're you're saying this is a journey, you know, and you're sharing yes. what you've learned on the journey. And I know, you know, from personal experience and knowing you guys, you know, as friends and just are the community of families that we all are, that we are a part of, it is so much work, but it's so worth it to do it. And you, um, I think my, Mike's portion of the book, and it's one of my husband, Eric's very favorite quotes. He's, he's said it a thousand times when we go through things. It's from the Shawshank Redemption. You know, it's like you, you have basically have a simple choice. You get busy living or you get busy dying. And I, when I read that, I was like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times Eric has said that to me um, because you're just in this tough place where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. And so I just want to thank you guys for your transparency because it's powerful and it's honest and it's not a pretty journey, but what comes from it is quite beautiful, really. Well, thank you. I mean, that that truly is our hope. And like I said, we, we're sharing this, we're sharing our story in hopes that it will help others. And so you don't have to go through this terrible tragedy to reevaluate your life and where you're at and have the courage to make the changes. Yeah. And I think you will help hundreds. I can't wait to see. I'm really, really (laughs) excited. And I'm excited that I know you guys and I get to watch the journey. So this is the HeartStrong Podcast. And, you know, I created it because I'm always curious about how people grow through struggles in their life and what that looks like and what can I learn from them and how can I help others by sharing these stories, learn learn about their life. And I was thinking about Ari, obviously, a lot as I was preparing for this. And, you know, he is and was the very definition of being heartstrong, of being resilient, of growing through the challenges. I don't ever think or never thought he nor my son, Ethan, were defined by their heart disease. They were defined by who they were. Yeah, they were you know, who they were, what they're, and that's really what you're inviting people to do. So I'm wondering if you can like leave our listeners, we've talked about a lot of great tactics today, but what are a couple things that you really felt like help you to live heartstrong or your family to live heartstrong in your lives today? I think my biggest piece of advice is to find your purpose, find your meaning, find your why. And to really work to uncover what it is that you want, not what society says you should want, not what the, your, your boss says you should want, you know, certainly something to be discussed with your partner and your family and to uncover together, but really to explore that question and to not let yourself off the hook to dig down. And when I say dig down, like if you think you came to what you want, ask yourself what else? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself why, and don't stop at that first why. Ask several times. Try to get to the root of what it is. And that's hard. That's hard in and of itself. That is a journey, just Mm -hmm. finding your purpose. I know that Mike talks about it in the book. And at first he said he thought he got to the purpose and he wrote it down, but he didn't share it with anyone for almost a year. 
He wanted to try it on like a pair of shoes and break it in and make sure that this truly is it. So give yourself the time and the space to do that. And, you know, secondly, I would say, don't be afraid to change. I think it's important to, to take with you what still serves you, especially as you work your way through these different seasons that we talked about, but also don't be afraid to let go and leave behind the things that aren't serving you. Maybe they served you in the past, but they're not serving you now. And that's okay. Mm, that's such good advice. I think that um, I echo those things. And I think they're they're hard to do in the world we live in. But back to what this whole conversation is about is getting clear about what matters to you. And then they get a little bit easier. So, they do. They do. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's being mindful about it. Yeah. It's being present. It's being aware and it's being deliberate. I love that. So where can people find you and where can they find this new book? So please uh, find me on LinkedIn, Erica Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. I would love to connect with you there um, as well. Our business, our company is Rain Group, which you can find at raingroup.com. Rain is spelt like the weather, group.com. And uh, certainly hop on Amazon or your favorite bookseller and order Not Today. Awesome. And we will also link all of these things in the show notes so you can definitely find Erica and Mike and their book. Um, and so just thank you so much, Erica, for spending this time with me today. This is a treasure for me, and I love spending time with you. Your family means a lot to me, um, and it was just an honor to, to watch you grow over these years, and uh, I, I honestly really felt super emotional before I talked to you, and, and, and last night as I was thinking about Ari, you guys are a really important part of our story, and I just want to thank you for sharing this time with me. Well, thank you. You ours as well, and you know this, this hour really does fill my heart. So thank you. Thank you. A very special thank you to our guest, Erica Schultz, for joining me today on the HeartStrong podcast. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and be sure to subscribe. Thank you so much to our producer, Allison Cohen, our sound engineer, Michael Garcia, and I'm your host, Jessica Lindbergh. Join us next week on the HeartStrong podcast. <laughs>